Will Joe Biden really be the Democratic nominee? How much pride can one month take? And will AI destroy humanity? We'll discuss all this more on this edition of The Editors. I'm Rich Lowry, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and yours, Jeff Blair, Madeline Maddie Kearns, and the notorious M.B.D., Michael Brennan Doherty. You are, of course, listening to a National Review podcast. Our sponsor of this episode is Waterstone. More about them in due course. If for some reason you're not already following us on streaming service, by the way, you can find us everywhere from Spotify to iTunes. And if you like what you hear here, please... Consider giving us a glowing five-star review on iTunes. If you don't like what you hear here, please forget I said anything. So, MBD, I often rely on you to keep me posted on breaking news, and I learned of Joe Biden's fall at the Air Force um, Academy graduation ceremony via text from you. At first, I was like, is this real? Is this an (laughs) AI-generated thing? We'll talk about AI more in a minute, because I really went down like a sack of... uh, Potatoes, and I, I'd been following the uh, ceremony a little bit through hostile Twitter feeds, ho- hostile to the president. You know, they're pointing out how he had to be let, let around, and people are pointing at the ground uh, constantly. And it, his speech was a little had, had the usual rocky moments, but this was really, I, I thought, a quite a disturbing fall. And I take no pleasure in it, as we've discussed previously. But I tweeted. You know, if you've had an elderly parent in decline, you know what this looks like. You know what this is. This is very familiar. Once the fall start, they don't stop. None of this gets better. But all, all these center-left people pushing back like us crazy, like, you know, we all trip, which we do, but that Joe Biden's just tripping the way all the rest of us trip, which is uh, nah. completely wrong. I mean, there's something, you know, his, his gait is very stiff. He's shuffling along. What do you make of it, MBD? Yeah, I mean, it was, I I mean, I shared it with you immediately because it's sort of something we've discussed on the podcast where we've said this seems like something that could happen and it could be catastrophic. Now, I don't think this was a, this was not a catastrophic fall, but that was only by luck, Um, right? I mean, if he had been closer to the edge of a stage or um, on a staircase or something like this, this could have been much more dire, um, uh, it just, uh, you know, my initial feeling <laughs> is one that, uh, you know, has been shared to me quietly by other people looking, when you look at some of these videos, which is like, I feel bad for him in some ways. Um, I feel like, you know, um, it's the job of, of people around him to take care of him. And this kind of a job is, is, you know, beyond someone of this age, um, or, or this, this, uh, condition, um, you know, like I, I have no ill will towards him. Uh, I, I think he just deserves rest, not, not you yeah. know, um, and, um, like I said, I'm, I am afraid that something like this is going to happen on a much bigger stage or on a, you know, um, in a way that is politically fateful, the way that Bob Dole's mm-hmm. fall in the 1996 campaign event was, you know, very difficult. And it's interesting to see the sensitivities around this. Cause I mean, I remember the late night jokes from the nineties about Bob Dole, you know, going in for his annual autopsy <laughs> or, you know, like all these sort of things that late night comedians were saying. Um, and it's just going to be harder and harder to keep the uh, taboo against talking about or joking about Biden's age uh, in place. Yeah, it's been it's been talked about a, a little bit, but not at a level that you would 
expect, but people already feel it and can see it, Jeff. We see it in the the polling. I would just say uh, two additional things. One, it's if it's not already sometime in in the not too distant future, it's going to be unsafe for him to be out and about the way the way he is. And two, if you're a Democrat, um, there's just no way to know that he wouldn't have some terrible fall in October 2024, you know, that would um, lose the election to Donald Trump or someone else. So this has to be factored in, I think, into the conventional wisdom that Joe Biden is is more electable than any other Democrat. You know, Rich, when I saw him fall, my heart went out him out for him the same way it does for you. I'm currently, as it happens, hobbling around on a broken foot uh, because of a lifetime history of bad falls. Um, and so I know the feeling. And I also know that if you're prone to them, it does only get worse with age. I think the thing that makes me so depressed is that we have to talk about both potential nominees for you know, the presidency in terms of, well, what if a force majeure event intervenes to take them out of the running? Joe Biden could, you know, have a senior incident or a medical incident. You know, he could fall. Donald Trump, I mean, if he doesn't fall down a manhole, he could get arrested or get sent sent away. Um, there is a well, he's definitely getting arrested. He's getting arrested a couple more times. <laughs> well, yeah, that. we know. God help us all. I mean, what, what, a, what, a, what, a, what a carnival. But here's the point. What this really points up is as sad as I feel watching Joe Biden struggle, this is why we can't have these aged be people as our only choices for president. Do you know why people have a taboo against talking about Biden in the media? Because they know there's no better choice out there. At least in their opinion, they mm-hmm. think that there's no better choice. They're they're obviously not Trump fans or Republicans, so they will not talk about how obvious it is. And that's why you aren't going to see it until until the, the nightmare scenario that Michael describes, where he actually takes a fall that like you know, he has to go to the hospital for, and that's going to hurt to watch. Yeah. Yeah. So, Maddie, speaking of Donald Trump, we have this, uh, I think it's it's fair to call it basically a war now between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. It's it's very intense. I'm not sure it's sustainable at this level of intensity through for the duration, but it, it is it is happening. It is on. And Donald Trump last night was back with another town hall, this time on Fox, where he's been uh, scarce. Uh, um, for for some some time now, what did you make of that? Yeah, so uh, unlike the the CNN one, this was a, a very friendly uh, set of questions. There were very softball questions. Hannity actually began by saying, you know, this was going to be very different from the the CNN one. They weren't going to debate the candidate. Um, and actually, in a, in a funny sort of way, I think that works uh, worse for for Trump because he is the you know, two fingers up to the establishment candidate. He he works well um, in an adversarial mode. Uh, it plays into his sort of victim narrative. You know, we've seen this, uh, these these things that should damage him only boost him, like in, indictments. Um, and it was it was flat. It was it was quite boring. Um, and I think this also adds some context to why we're seeing him really go after DeSantis in such a, a strong way. You know, we the Republicans won't start voting for, for another six months. We can't really expect um, them to appear on a debate stage for another sort of six weeks or so. Um, and yet he's really, really going for him. And I think it's, again, because this is the way he makes himself look good. Trump needs to exist in opposition to something. He isn't a coherent person by himself. He doesn't stand for anything by himself. He, he stands for something, opposing something. 
Um, and I think I think that's what we're we're seeing uh, with not not just the uh, the uh, fake news media, but but now with DeSantis and his uh, cont- contesters as well. So, MBD, you've obviously had the kitchen sink approach from Trump that he takes against every opponent. You've had a lot of various nicknames. Disaster is now is now uh, in in contention. Rob, you know, he's being called uh, Rob. He's he's mocked the. I, I guess maybe we've all been mispronouncing DeSantis all, all along, but he, he's been hitting hitting on that and hitting. DeSantis in ways that just opened him up to obvious counterpunches, you know, saying Andrew Cuomo was was better than than Florida is just just crazy for Trump's purposes. But my question to you is, you're you're Chris LaCivita, you're your top Trump advisor, and he's going to take what you say seriously. How do you advise him to go after DeSantis? Um, I advise him to um, just be just alpha dog him just big dog him the whole time and continue blathering even incoherently to do it um i think uh, i i am of the opinion that um magazine writers like ourselves and probably much of our audience listening to this you know we all want like our candidates to prosecute the most coherent case against each other Mm -hmm. and advance in very direct lines where you can trace, you know, their... We've we've disastrously overestimated coherence. Exactly. Voters want a vibe. Voters want a a feeling, man. They don't want the the cold case. Listen, I really really believe that, you know, like we want the personality to match the ideology, to match the campaign style, to match the governing, etc. And I, I think for Trump's core supporters they they accept that his attacks on other people are incoherent um you know they cheer the ones they agree with they ignore the ones they don't and they just accept they see this as a demonstration of his willfulness and the the appeal of trump to them is that i you know that willfulness can be put to work for some of my mm-hmm. political goals, so I th- so, I really think so, that works for Trump. So so Al- Alpha Dogging is just doing everything he's doing now. Yeah, I think I think so, and uh, I'm not sure it, it will work in the end because Trump. I do I do think even a lot of his supporters admit he has liabilities, uh, but but yeah, I would I would just keep up the barrage uh, in, in, as intensely as he can. So Jeff, so far, uh, and and the DeSantis people are. are aware of this, as far as I can tell, DeSantis has been trying to show strength in response, and he hasn't shrunk from any of these mm-hmm. attacks, hasn't showed the, the least bit of fear or hesitation going going back after Trump. No, he hasn't, and I give him, I give him credit for that. I mean, I you, if you can't do that, you're not going to take the crown, and it's as simple mm-hmm. as that. So, you know, you don't want to be over-aggressive, but you certainly cannot you know, every time Trump hits, you have to, when you're confronted with it, hit back. It actually does behoove DeSantis to ignore some of the more ridiculous things. Uh, but, you know, if they bring them up to you, you have to mention the one, of course, everybody's talking about these days is that that goofy 
that is it a truth, a tweet, whatever Trump did, where he like literally he issued a press release that was him reprinting his uh, Truth Social thing, just making fun of Ron DeSantis's name. You talk about big dogging. I think that takes the uh, that takes the idea to an extreme. And if I were mm-hmm. if I were Chris Lasavita, I would not be because I would quit and I would go to work. <laughs> I would become a Trappist monk after I had worked for uh, the Trump campaign to to repent. But if I were, I would tell him you have to be a little more measured than that because even his fans were sitting there thinking yeah this is just embarrassing though they like that will to power that was a brilliant insight that michael had honestly they accept it that he's going to make unfair attacks but hey all in the game yo but they don't want him to look like a fool and when he goes and looks like a fool that's the only thing that can possibly undo him in this little you know alpha Mm -hmm. dog sweepstakes when he doesn't look Mm -hmm. like an alpha he looks like he's trying too hard yeah, it was, it was interesting. He was he was asked DeSantis in in an interview somewhere about th- this kind of Trump attack, the the name calling and whatnot, and he he said it's juvenile, et cetera, as you would expect. And then kind of went went somewhere where I didn't necessarily expect him to go. He said this is why he lost. Yeah, and this is a critique like our types have made of Trump all along, which is obviously true, but it's been kind of forbidden to notice or to publicly uh, notice. For, and and, and for I've never most, understood most why. Because the point about running against Trump is you have to make arguments that will resonate with his voters, not that resonate with the Washington Post. But this one will resonate with his voters. Just like, hey, what did he do with Fauci and COVID? That should resonate with them. Yeah, it's a fantastic point. Like, you know, you had it and you squandered it because you couldn't shut up. People know it. So, next question to you, MBD. Going back to Joe Biden, let's double barrel it. It would be sustainable for the president of the United States to be using a walker. Yes, yes or no. And what are your percentage odds at the moment that Joe Biden will actually be the Democratic nominee? Zero, no chance. A hundred percent. It's a dead cinch lock. I'm I'm at eighty percent on the on. The nomination question, and um, it would not it would not be acceptable to use a walker. He could get away with a shillelagh for a little bit, leaning on one, but not a walker. <laughs> Maddie Kearns. Um I think we're still pretty high that that he's the the nominee. So I'll say ninety um, percent there, and then I. I also don't think it would be sustainable. It would be more sustainable than, say, him in a wheelchair with Kamala Harris pushing it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, I said that come long ago. I said come one way or another, Joe Biden will not be the president of the United States in January 2025. I don't know how it will happen, but I think I still stand by it. And a walker. Oh, and the walker, as long as it's powered by Tesla, an electric Tesla-powered walker with Elon <laughs> green, Musk branding. It'll green be, walker. It'll be a crossover. See, it'll please both sides. That's the idea. <laughs> so I don't think a walker would be sustainable either. And I, I, I'm lower than than MBD and Maddie. I'm, I'm more like a, a 50-50 really? guy. And, it, and it's not because I think they're going to be these machinations, you know, to drop them if it seems like Trump's not going to be the nominee. I mean, they're not. They're, if Trump's not the nominee, we're probably not going to know like till June of next year. Right. So it'd be hard to leverage him out at, at that point. I just, I just really worry about whether he's uh, the health. Yeah. Uh, whether, he, yeah, whether yeah. he's, whether he's, he's up for it. That's mostly with, why I'm where I am too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, let's hear from our sponsor. This episode, Waterstone. When Patricia tried to donate to a conservative organization through her donor advised fund. 
her request was denied. Why? Because they said she was trying to give to a hate group. That's why she switched to Waterstone, a donor-advised fund dedicated to upholding Judeo-Christian values. Waterstone is unique in the world of donor-advised funds. It accepts gifts of cash, as well as real estate, business interest, oil, and more. They can help you receive an immediate tax deduction and make a difference for the charity of your choosing. With its charitable pool trust, you can even generate a guaranteed income stream from your charitable giving. Waterstone strictly adheres to a Christian statement of faith, including a pro-life declaration. It does not give to charities that contradict those values. Waterstone is trusted by so many men and women of conviction that they give $10 million per month in charitable grants. They can work with you or your financial advisor to make a giving strategy that fits your needs. Contact Waterstone's giving strategies team today for more information by visiting waterstone.org. That's waterstone.org. Please check it out. So Maddie, we are, what, second day of, of Pride Month? It already feels like it's been a month or more, right? <laughs> there was a lot of lead-in to Pride Month this uh, th- this year, but we have continued a Pride Month-related controversies. We have the apparel stuff going on. We talked a little bit about Target last time, but you have Kohl's and perhaps even J. Crew um, in, in the sights of folks on the right who um, th- think think this stuff is, is way over the top, and you had a Toronto Blue Jays relief pitcher just sharing on Instagram a video from a Christian saying why Christians should support the boycotts of Bud Light and Target. I mean, he didn't even say anything as, as, as far as I'm aware of, and got backed into this groveling apology where he, he said he's so sorry for giving the pride community, there's a pride community now, <laughs> offense, and said he was going to rely on the resources of the Toronto Blue Jays to better educate him so he could um, be better going forward. And it used to be, you know, the resources of a baseball t- team was like Hank, who had a cup of coffee with the Chicago Cubs and is the the assistant bullpen coach who could help you work on your curveball. But no, now you're going to be educated in uh, uh, why your your, your faith uh, should not enter into your worldview whatsoever, and you should be fully on board pride. Yeah, so it's I think that was rather disappointing that he issued that apology. I mean, it, it smacks of I'm saying the thing I have to say, so I'm not fired. Um, which you know, e- easy for me to criticize that because I, I don't get fired at National Review for saying the things I say. So, you know, um, but I, I think what. What's different this year, at least what feels different about this Pride Month, is the LGBT movement has has got to a place of of relative complacency where they're used to um, asserting over and over again that their ontology of what it is to be a human being, what it is to, you know, your sexuality, what that means, that's the only way of seeing things. Everything else is bigoted. And that's just not true. Um, obviously, world religions have a, a very different interpretation of uh, the purpose of sexuality. You've seen uh, Robbie George at Princeton suggest that we do this Fidelity Month um, instead of instead of Pride Month, sort of uh, emphasising f- fidelity to your family, to your country. Um, these are the sorts of values that, that other people care about. And I think that they've, they've overreached, especially with the, the trans issue, and we, we talked about this a bit last time with the um, the nature of the the products they were selling at Target, but they've they've overreached, and and more people are willing to say, actually, I reject this. This is not 
um, this doesn't represent me, this doesn't represent my view of uh, sexuality or, or anything else for that matter. Um, and they're they're feeling more confident to say so. Obviously, this uh, Blue Jays player was was not confident enough, but um, the fact that he shared it in the first place it does it is a reminder that not everybody sees this issue the same way. Yeah. So Jeff, it, it seems that a huge element of the backlash has to do with uh, the LGBT. The the emphasis has been on the T uh, uh, in re- recent years and kids. You know, even the Dylan Mulvaney thing, he's a grown man, although, you know, um, he, he now denies the, 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 <laughs> the man, man part, part of it. And, yeah. and also has never, never act grown either, <laughs> but he, he acts like a kid. So it, it feels like another uh, a way of coming after um, our, our kids with this, this ideology and this apparel that's been controversial in these stores also is, is for kids. Well, the thing about it is, is that it's so interpenetrated into our culture these days that it's sometimes hard to notice. I was just joking with you guys before we started is like oh it's june i didn't know it was pride month here in chicago it's pride year it's pride decade okay it's just like not even that much different it's uh i'm sure it's a lot different to other people but that in itself is a a really good indicator of how absolutely interlayered it is with every part of your social and public existence these days it's just you go out and by the way i'm not even complaining I don't mind. But like everybody else, it's just one of those places where... You guys familiar with E.E. E. Cummings? Very left-wing poet. I can't believe I'm mentioning him on National Review. But there's a great poem of his called I Sing of Olaf. It's anti-war. It makes it even worse. Has one great line, though, where Olaf, after being beaten by everyone else, to he's got to admit it. He's got to admit it. He says, upon what once were knees, or upon what once were feet, there is some S I will not eat. And America has hit that moment where there's some crap that I will not eat. There's something I will not tolerate. And it finally found its crystallizing event in the kids and transgender issue. I didn't know that this would be the stopping point. I'm glad that it is. But this to me is very much a no-go further space. And they are determined to march further onward. And I think that there's a critical mass of people who are determined to say no. So I really do think this is where the war actually ends up happening in our culture wars. Yeah, so MBD, that's a great segue to the question I was going to ask you. So, you know, we'd all become acclimated, for better or worse, with all all the pride flags. You know, you'd you'd complain about it every June, but uh, the the world kept kept spinning. But what is it about um, progressivism, cultural progressivism, that has to keep pushing? It's not as though they can just have the flag and add a few more stripes and symbols and and be done. They they want to push further into the culture. Well, I mean, it is... Um, I wish we had an hour. Yeah, I mean, there's there's, <laughs> there's, there's there's a couple of things. I mean, one, there's the institutional question, right? Which is, like, you've got the Human Rights Campaign, which is an enormous uh, legal lobbying uh, politicking group. And once Obergefell happens, it's not going to just disband, right? It's It's got a new... You've got to find the, the next mission. And so it's, okay, we're going to push for more inclusion... Of more more letters T Q I A plus whatever plus stands for, uh, and we're gonna start shaking down corporations, you know, year by year, and telling them what we'd like to see from them, uh, and and finding a way to cajole and threaten them. So that, that's that's on the institutional level, but I think on the moral political level, I, I really do think that progressivism has this world picture of we are always facing um, some form of tyranny, always 
in need of some form of liberation from it. Uh, and this is now bumping up against the limits imposed by nature itself. And, um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think they can stop. Um, the world picture itself drives them there and they can't shake loose of it. Um, so if it wasn't, you know, and they sometimes lose, we have to, to, to mention that, right? I mean, I think people think that progressives always triumph, but you know, in the 1990s, there, there was a vogue for legal emancipation of children from their, from their families. And it got almost nowhere. Um, right. Like it was something even Hillary Clinton kind of hinted at supporting. Um, it takes a village after all. Right. Um, you know, but expanding the definition of, of emancipating children from their, the tyranny of the home. Um, but it didn't, it didn't go anywhere. So it's possible this will be stopped as well, but, uh, it's going to be a tremendous fight because again, this, this, this is very deep in their worldview. And, and if I think r listeners want, you know, the kind of 24 hour discussion or a picture of it, they should turn to, uh, a book. Uh, by Carl Truman, The Rise of the Therapeutic Self, I think it's called. Uh, the, the Rise and Triumph of the Therapeutic Self, which I think really gets at why um, the culture has gone in this direction. So, Maddie, ask a question to you. We have reached peak pride. Yes or no? Uh, no, but I, I, th I think it's going to... They're, they're not going to take a hint. They're going to keep pushing, um, and, and then we'll reach it. So it's, it's there on the horizon. All right. Jeff, is is peak pride upon us on the horizon or nowhere to be seen? Just like peak oil never happened, peak pride will never happen. <laughs> <laughs> MVD. I mean, there's still more conceivable colors to add to the flag, right? And shapes. So uh, I mean, there's, there's, there's always more paint in the can to mix. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I got to say we have not reached peak pride. The pushback is is heartening but we have not reached peak pride. So, Jeff, let's go to something else here. AI, big debate, been ongoing for a while now about uh, the threats of, of AI, and you, you've ha had some prominent people warning that it could threaten the existence of humanity itself. How worried are you? Well, I'm here actually to be the voice of reason and sobriety and say that, yeah, they're right, we may all be doomed. Um, I'm actually uh, pretty high on the panic meter when it comes to artificial intelligence, and uh, people may think that's ridiculous, but here's why I am. Just to keep it short, I've written about this a couple times for the site, and I'm certainly going to write about it again. Uh, what AI does is it does it will not replace the smartest people in the world, and everybody is, is copacetic about that when they say, well, you know, AI couldn't write you a good poem. It can't do art. Well, sure it can, because it can't replace human randomness. But do you know what, unfortunately, AI can do? It can replace the vast gormless middle mass of society and do their jobs mm -hmm. better than they do them themselves. There was this hilarious story a couple months ago where a DEI office at some university like thought they had to respond to like you know some event somewhere else in the country that wasn't relevant to them. So they did a press release and then at the end the little auto text is like created with chatbot GPT. You'd never mm -hmm. have known if it hadn't been written by a person. And there proof positive that d that that chatbot ai can replace 
the DEI industry. Now, that's great mm-hmm. to me. I love that. But of course, what they'll do is they'll just do their jobs better than they're already doing them. You don't actually want that to happen. You don't want that kind of efficiency, and you also don't want that kind of human waste. Because joking aside, at the end of the day, what do you do with all those people who no longer have a purpose in life? I don't have a good answer. No one's got a good yeah. answer. I'm worried the, about it. The question, Maddie, is... Can AI write a decent right-wing opinion column? That, that's, that, 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 that's when the threat becomes dire. They're programmed not to! <laughs> yeah, that's what we have going for us. <laughs> they'll, never, yeah. they'll never let it to a right one. Um, yeah, so I, I, I kind of, I, I think it was funny, the, the statement that came out from these, these guys within the field, um, which was like one sentence long. It was like, yeah, this could be on a par with nuclear threats and pandemics. Um, and of course, because it's vague and people just start speculating wildly about the various forms that that will take. I think the, the most immediate and obvious concerns are to do with reliability, given how much we rely on AI and, and are increasingly relying on AI. I mean, it, it, you only need to look around uh, to see how much disruption can be caused when technology that we take for granted fails. So we had... Um, uh, Spirit Airlines had had another episode where all their flights were su- suspended because of some glitch. We obviously had um, a, a wider problem with with airlines uh, last year. Um, then there's the, the issue of of um, sort of can you actually trust the the information that you're getting? So there was an interesting case in New York. A lawyer uh, was filing a suit and he asked Chat GBT the uh, GPT the um, to come up with, uh, to provide him with similar lawsuits, and so it did, and he filed his brief, and it turned out that uh, the ChatGPT had actually um, fabricated all of them, and so the the judge had this sort of unprecedented situation where you know they, there wasn't fraud, but but this was he he relied on something that that proved to be completely unreliable, um, and then there's there's issues to do with obviously cybersecurity. You can get into Depends how deep you want to go into all this stuff, but you know, quantum computing and quantum teleportation, where you can start accessing, um, uh, you can start getting into very uh, sophisticated cybersecurity, uh, get behind them. So, um, there's definitely th- those things are on the horizon. They're they're concerning. I agree with Jeff though that the things that really keep me up at night are much more to do with how it changes what it actually means to be a human and how we conceive of this. He's, he's mentioned, you know, the, the the importance of work and having a purpose in your work. And if we move towards something like fully automated luxury communism or something <laughs> like you know, that's that's not really, that's not very good for... Hey, look at what happens to people who sit in their rooms all the time and just stare at their computers. It's nothing good. We know it, yeah. okay? This has, like, been documented very well, okay? It, exactly. So, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I share that concern, and I, I also see it in in human relationships as well. You know, the we've already seen a very disturbing development of sort of sex robots um, and, and sex robots with AI. So the, these are, are sort of like robotic girlfriends, I guess, um, which is, you know, very creepy and weird and, and changes human relationships and, and changes human purpose. Um, and I, I think we can expect um, a lot of that kind of stuff because we don't have a coherent system of morality. We certainly don't have a consensus on morality in a, in a post-Christian age. So, that that's where I would probably be, be spending um, a lot of time. So, 
MBD, I'm I'm not as alarmed as as Jeff and Maddie are. One, because I fall back on my uh, traditional belief that uh, every truly transformative technology, yes, has has put people out of work, but has also generated a, other opportunities. So if you just look at where, what the economy was 200 years ago, you would think everyone would be unemployed because you don't need farmers the way the way you did to to produce food, but um, uh, we, we've obviously developed other ways. Sorry, there's a, a deer running across my lawn, so I was I was uh, distracted there. Um, there, uh, we, we found other ways to employ people, and uh, as far as the threat to humanity, maybe there is a threat to humanity. But if we say we're not going to do this because there's a threat to humanity, China or someone else is going to do it. And if a threat to humanity does develop from AI, you will need AI to combat this threat. Uh, from humanity. And, you know, th- there's upsides and downsides to every technology. Social media, when it first emerged, you know, Facebook was like uh, um, changing the Middle East and supporting these Democrats in the Middle East. And it, you know, it turns out what, what it was really doing, Facebook and other platforms, kind of deranging our politics and um, poisoning the minds and, and ruining the mental health of our teenagers, especially teenage girls. So there'll, there'll be downsides to this, but there are downsides to everything. Hey, Rich, remember in the 90s when the internet was called the information superhighway? Because it was just oh, about yeah. getting all that info and becoming smarter. Yeah. Nah, that's not what it turned out to be after all. Well, I, well, Rich, I share a little bit of your optimism, actually, uh, maybe surprisingly, um, and I actually even would, would exceed it. I, I don't think that we've seen political derangement. I think we've seen a lot of political opening up and flowering of democracy and the smashing both ways. This is true. Yeah. And the smashing of some rotten, uh, institutions that deserve to be smashed in the intermediary, uh, space, namely, uh, mainstream media. Um, so with AI, I mean, listen, we are all fascinated. There's a viral story this week that the U S air force did a simulation of a drone powered by AI that was given a mission to, fly to fly around, find a surface to air missile, then check back with a human operator and the human operator would give the go ahead to destroy it. The surface to air missile with the drone and the drone immediately determined that the human operator was a threat and then moved to kill the human operator. Then when it was reprogrammed to not kill the human operator, (laughs) it, it immediately set about destroying the communication tower between the human operator and the so drone. So that it could go and do its own so, thing. Because so it just it, wanted <laughs> it wanted to get the points. It's so funny. It's so, like it's like that's not Skynetish in the slightest, is it? Well, oh the, my but God. the thing is, but the thing is, the thing is, is so, so this story goes around precisely because we believe in the Tower of Babel and we believe in Frankenstein's monster and we believe that technology is going to be our ultimate undoing. Right. And I don't, I don't believe that actually. Okay. Uh, I, I, I don't believe that. I, um, I actually have high hopes for AI. Right, come on, MBD, you can't go this off brand. You're gonna have a Bud Light no, problem. Uh, here, 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 I, actually, I actually think you know because everyone is extending it like so. Techno futurist MBD. That, that, <laughs> yeah. that, no, but the, the, that that demonstration was meant to show how dumb AI currently is and how much smarter it has to get and is getting. And, and yeah, it highlights the dangers that, you know, AI can be fooled if you don't program it well, it can be turned against us and that's all fine. But like people are extending the idea that, oh, all the miserable things about our dumb internet are going to be extended into the future. 
Mm-hmm. Well, the miserable things about our dumb internet were the easier things to accomplish, which was like, let's make addictive TikTok and make you watch advertisements or whatever. But if AI is intelligent, it's actually going to be doing the harder things. And I can envision a future where um, AI is a tremendous tool for human development, where, you know, it, it can solve tremendous problems in education in and in other fields um, that can't be solved by one human intelligence alone. It's and such a seductive point. I, I, I see it, and I still no, cringe. I just think about giving up agency, and that, that's a human impulse. In I, don't think we, I, don't, I don't think we will give up agency. And, and, and again, I, I actually agree with Tyler Cowen that you want the, the freer countries with the better institutions to be in the lead on this technology and its use, and you strengthen our institutions to protect us from it and uh, as much as we can. I mean, in a way, like... Uh, I, I, as horrible as living under the, the sort of Damocles of nuclear annihilation is in some ways, like it is true that the advent of nuclear weapons has brought about more peace. Uh, yeah, and also what would have looked like if, if we, uh, and, and had been wringing our hands like, okay, and nuclear, nuclear is too dangerous. We're not going to pursue it, you know, in 1942, right? Right, right. How, how would that have turned out? Right. No, that's, that's exactly it is, um, and, and again, I don't think this will be dangerous. I mean, I think a lot of the uses of AI that we're going to see in our lifetime are going to be stuff like, Hey, we're replacing Duolingo with an actually intelligent language instructor that, will actually get you to learn how to speak French or German because it can actually customize the content to exactly your learning level, to exactly your interests, and it recognizes how you are stretching and and your learning styles, et cetera, in a way that a single human teacher would have difficulty doing. And of course, after that, then what will happen is rich people will just hire human tutors that are themselves instructed by the AI in how to do it. Because mm-hmm. humans will still remain, we, we will still prefer real human contact, like because we are human. Yeah. So let's get specific and put a number on our level of alarm from zero to 10. Maddie, you first zero. You're totally copacetic about our AI future and killer robots coming. 10. <laughs> You are uh, in, a, in a panic, uh, almost as afraid of AI as flying in an airplane. <laughs> um, well, actually, okay, I think Michael brought me down, so I'll, I'll see five. <laughs> I'll see five. That, you know, I feel reassured now. He brought you, you down in a different way than, than he usually brings you down. Yeah, so, so, exactly. so Maddie's he dropped you down. He talked you off the ledge. Yes, precipitously down to a five. Where are you, Jeff? Oh, no, he's escalated me. Michael's been selling <laughs> honey-tongued lies, the s- seductive lies of, of, of a techno future that will not actually exist. I'm still at about 9.1 as far as 9. I can. 9.1. There's going to be enormous, massive people with nothing to do with their lives. And what are they going to replace it with? That's a thought that nobody's really contemplating. It's already happened. We're already seeing displacement in the modern you know, mechanization. I think and sort of. 
lawyers, lawyer, lawyers. I'm sorry, but lawyers and lobbyists can be retrained to detail cars for plumbers <laughs> and electricians <laughs> and actually That's useful people. Joy. Learn, <laughs> learn the joy. detail. I will okay. Turn every lawyer into a plumber. I'm on board. Okay? No, 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 and no, I'm no, Speaking no. as a lawyer. No, but plumber, plumbers are skilled. Are skilled trade. Uh, My old friend who was a plumber, he, he was. I went to high school. I, I, I of course, went to college and law school. He became a plumber. I came back. He's making like twice as much as I am. Yes. You know what he said to me? He had a beard, cracked a beard. He said, you know what, Jeff? Plumbers don't starve. <laughs> they're, 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 <laughs> Simple as that. I, I always tell people the, the story when I, when I was moving my mom out of uh, uh, her, her longtime home into an assisted living place, and there was a, a basement plumbing disaster, and I had a, a young, young uh, kid, a plumber, come, and he's just standing in the middle of this basement, saying nothing, staring <laughs> uh, up at the ceiling. I was like, finally, I was like a little awkward. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm thinking. Because he had to figure out, you know, which where do these pipes go? Which where's the best place to cut them? You know, it's a problem solving job. It's an like intensely almost, skilled job. Yeah. I mean, there's no question about it. And people degrade it because it's just like you know, it's a dirty job. It's messy work. But my God, as I said, those people will never lack. The, 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 the AI will will be employing electricians. Believe me. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. So M- MBD, what's your number? Uh six. I'm a little worried. Yeah, I'm gonna maybe I'll maybe I'll go four. Um, so, so Jeff, you're, you're the real outlier here, which usually, I'm the real usually is a good place to be. As I no, said, you usually... know, I might become a survivalist living off the grid in a shack just to keep Skynet away from me. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hit a few other things before we go. MBD, you've been listening to middle-aged country music. Yeah. So, um, been listening to the new Dirk Bentley album, Gold, and the funniest thing is that my, you know, a lot of Dirk Bentley's songs are about, like, middle-aged men, you know, learning to appreciate their family or appreciate their dad in their old age or get through a divorce or something like that. And yet my, my eight-year-old daughter seems to vibe with these songs from the backseat of the car in a really strong way and requests him all the time, um, which is just the funniest thing in the world to me. And uh, I think I'm going to have to take her to a Dirk mm-hmm. Bentley concert this summer. So, Jeff, you've been listening to a 1972 live concert from the Grateful Dead. No, oh, not just one, my friend. <laughs> Every okay, as, as Deadheads, well, you, you know, it's funny. The Grateful Dead has that hippie kind of mystique, but of course, there are a ton of conservative Deadheads out there. I happen to be one of them. I love this live band, and I've just been doing nothing but listening to Europe '72. Every fan, who knows? Every show, I've literally set myself a task of going from April to May of 1972, just listening to Americana played over. Across the pond, the best Americana maybe that's ever been done in the rock genre, in my opinion. I love. So, this are band. you familiar with Leonard Skinner's Oakland of Coliseum, course. July second, nineteen seventy-seven concert? Not that particular one. Why that particular one? It's. Um, I'm not a huge music guy. Not certainly not in, anything in, in your ballpark. But uh, I love Sweet Home Alabama, and I, I came across that. Uh, that rendition of it from this concert, which apparently is is epic and and legendary, but it's uh, it is amazing. Hey, you want to you want to hear something even funnier? You remember that song was written as an insult to Neil Young. Well, mm-hmm. right after the plane went down, and of course Ronnie Van Zant died. The day afterwards, you can find a tape of Neil Young out on the stage with his band, just playing the most you know butt kicking version of Sweet oh, wow. Home oh, Alabama that's awesome. as a tribute. Oh, I got to check it's, it out. It's beautiful. Yeah, soul. All out of soul. So, Maddie, you are about to go see a Jerry Seinfeld performance. 
Yeah, so I'm in Rochester just now visiting my husband's family and uh, they organised this surprise, which was really sweet. So we're going um, going tonight to see Jerry Seinfeld. I always think it's a bit of a risk uh, going with family to comedy shows, but I think Seinfeld's pretty pretty safe. You know, he keeps it clean. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to it. So I saw The Little Mermaid and it was terrible. It was really <laughs> awful. And it's not it's not the woke stuff really which is isn't that noticeable it's one it's it's one it's too long kids movies should be like 90 minutes not two hours and 15 minutes and felt more like three and it's really hard to replicate the magic of the the animation with the the live actors and then the the woke stuff the the african-american ariel i mean she's lovely i mean she's she's a, a lovely girl but i'm not sure it really has the effect that they they wanted because you have this sort of teenager, I don't know whether she's a teenager, teenager-ish, African-American girl, like, pining after this hunky, you know, uh, uh, grown-up white male, and then rendered mute throughout most of the movie. So on kind of woke standards, it would seem like it, it, kind, of, uh, it kind of backfires. And it just, it just kind of, it just sort of lacked, lacked magic. Uh, so I, I highly do not recommend it. With that, it's time for our editor's picks. MBD! What's your pick? Uh, my pick is Noah Rothman's From Trump Avoidance to Anti-Trump <sighs> Pileup. That's, that, was, that was mine yet, yet again. Oh, man. You really <laughs> got to start coordinating. Well, I, uh, well listen, I think, I think you could pick almost any of Noah's pieces on the 2024 race in the last week and a half. Um, I think, you know, we all knew Noah was a very capable foreign policy commentator from his his tradition inside of the movement um and a very good cultural commentator as well um with his recent book on the new puritanism um but he's just also just a great rank punditry pundit and um you know you should follow his coverage of the 24 race he's always insightful and always makes you think maddie kearns it's your pick my pick is a corner post by John McCormack called Why It Makes Sense for DeSantis to Hit Trump on Abortion. And um, it, it, it delivers exactly what the, what the headline says. But it, um, I, th- I think a lot of people can, can criticise uh, DeSantis fall, or fall into the trap of criticising DeSantis for attacking Trump uh, from the right and, and saying, you know, this is very 2016 Ted Cruz strategy. But actually... John um, lays out very clearly why that is a very smart move. Jeff, what's your pick? Well, I, I'm, I'm going to go with one that, that's very much uh, at the heart of my uh, current political obsessions. This is our local Wolverine, Jim Garrity's piece from the other day. Trump 24, 2024 is shaping up to be even dumber than Trump 2020, which goes back to my old thesis, as, which is that no matter how bad you think things are getting politically, they can always get stupider. And then they're about to now, once we're, once we're going to go through this juvenile name calling cycle, the one that we just discussed earlier, uh, we have not seen what what's coming over the horizon yet we think we know what we'll see i guarantee all of us we're going to be surprised so my pick is our editorial virginia joins the movement against credentialism praising governor glenn youngkin for signing this 
bill in Virginia to eliminate the requirement that you have a, a four-year college degree for many state jobs or some specialized state jobs, obviously, where a degree uh, is necessary, especially medical jobs. But other, otherwise, this is really healthy and welcome pushback against the, the idea that if you don't have a four-year degree, you're, you're somehow inherently uh, less capable than uh, people who do. So that's it for us. You've been listening to a National Review podcast and your rebroadcast, retransmission, recount this game without the express written permission of National Review magazine is strictly prohibited. This podcast has been produced by the incomparable Sarah Shuddy, who makes us sound better than we deserve. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you, MBD. Thanks to Waterstone. And thanks especially to all of you for listening. We're the editors. We'll see you next time.